Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking specifically at verses um, 16 and 17. It's December 2021. Christmas is just around the corner, right? And uh, likely the tree and the lights are already up in your home. Don't raise your hands, but probably it is, right? Yeah, it is already. And yet this morning I'm supposed to convince you that we are at war, (laughs) that we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare. If you're honest with me, that sounds a little absurd, doesn't it? When you contrast your cozy life at home right now with me getting up here and saying, hold on, actually we're at war, that's absurd. If you're honest, I'll be the first to admit, as we're journeying through this series um, on the armor of God, The metaphor, this military metaphor that Paul is using, he's comparing our spiritual lives, he's comparing it to warfare, and to me that just, sometimes that just sounds so extreme, doesn't it? Extreme. Like Paul must be exaggerating, he must be overreacting, overcalling it to say this is warfare, because when I leave church today, and maybe for you too, when you go home or when you go to work on Monday, it just doesn't feel like we are in a war. Maybe some of you will say, well, you don't know my home life, right? <laughs> Maybe it is a war. I don't know. But no, you know what I mean, right? It just doesn't feel like we're in a war. Paul was in prison when he um, wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And so uh, being in prison, he would have been surrounded by Roman soldiers. So, so you may wonder, okay, maybe that's why he's using such, you know, military language. Um, it just seems excessive. Because you see, church, to believe that I'm at war while standing in line for Black Friday deals just doesn't add up, does it? Be honest. You see the problem, don't you? If we were really at war, okay, just, just, just follow me for a second. If you really believed right now that there was an enemy army attacking you and your loved ones, right now bullets are raining down on this sanctuary, if that was the case, a discount on scented candles or pressure cookers would not even cross your mind. Why? Because you, if we were really in a war, you would be fighting for your life, wouldn't you? You'd be fighting to survive, fighting to protect yourself and to protect the ones you love, to rescue others from death. You see, church, if we are to really believe what Paul has been telling us that we are in the midst of a spiritual war in which the eternal future of every soul on this earth hangs in the balance. Christian, if you really believe that, your life would change. It must change. Do you know why? Because the things you do when you're a civilian in a time of peace are not at all the things you would do as a soldier 
on the battlefield. True? It's true. They're different. It's a whole different life. Now, the war I'm talking about is not physical, right? We've established that earlier in the series that we're not fighting against other humans. We're not fighting flesh and blood, Paul told us, but rather in verses 11 to 12, if you look up a little earlier in our passage, he told us we're fighting against spiritual forces of evil. And now, for those of you who are unbelievers listening to me here or watching from home, that term spiritual forces of, of, of evil, it just sounds like hocus pocus, right? Like it sounds a little like supernatural and magical. Like, what are you talking about, spiritual forces? But the Bible does not shy away from telling us the, re- the reality that there really is a devil, that there really is an enemy who is out to destroy your soul and to drag everyone you know into the darkness of hell for eternity. The Bible doesn't shy away from disclosing that truth to us. And so you might say to me, well, well, well I don't see him, I don't see these things, you, you, the schemes of the devil, right? That's what, we, that's what we covered before, the scheme. I don't see schemes. Where is he scheming? Well, maybe I can suggest to you that you're not looking carefully enough. When you look at the anti-biblical laws that our society has passed, where it's legal to slaughter 600,000 babies in a year, do you not see the, the enemy's schemes? When you look at the anti-gospel social movements that have become mainstream today, do you not see his tactics? Even this very Christmas season, the, the commercialization of this Christmas, where millions and millions of people are drawn to the malls while the church is forgotten, don't you see his tactics? Even the subtlest happy holidays, happy holidays, even that diverts our thought and our attention away from the one who was born to save people from their sins. True or not? It's true. And so Paul tells us that we really are in a war. Okay, it's not a physical war, but it's a spiritual war. And we've learned so far in the series, verse 10, we need God's strength. Verse 13, we need His armor to stand firm. And as our elder read earlier, the belt of truth, the breastplate in verse 14, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace in verse 15. And then last week, Pastor Dave spoke to us about the helmet of salvation in verse 17, which leaves us with two critical pieces of armor. And I want to go so far as to say that without these two pieces, you would be as good as dead on the battlefield without these last two pieces, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? The Word of God, the, sh- the, sh- the shield and the sword. So we're going to examine these each in turn this morning, and my prayer and my sincere prayer for all of us is that we would take up this shield and take up the sword. I'm convinced that we are not. Many of us are not myself included, many a time. And so that's my conviction and my prayers that we would learn to take it up this morning and to stand firm. So let's begin. Take a look at verse 16 with me, if you can, in your Bibles. You'll need your own Bible to follow along. We'll bring it up on the screen as well. We begin with the shield. Paul says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. 
So I need to paint you a picture in order to understand what Paul is saying here, okay? When the Romans went to war, they would get the soldiers in the front of the army to form a line, and they would put up their shields side by side by side, okay? No gaps, okay? These shields would form a front line. The shields they held were not small either. Sometimes we picture these small little frisbees. That's not what it was, okay? These are like 2.5 by 4.5 feet, Okay, so, so this would cover most, if not all, of your body if you were kind of crouched underneath it. That was the shield. It was made of wood. It was a wooden shield um, that was covered with um, animal hide, like leather, and then bound with iron at the top and at the bottom. So that, that's the picture of this, this Roman shield. And the shield was, critical, was a critical part of, this, of, the, of the soldier's armor, and you know why, right? It was his defense, Right? It, it protected him because in that warfare, arrows would be launched from the enemy's side and the shield would be the thing that would protect you against those arrows. The remarkable thing about these shields, okay, and I, I don't know, I just found this interesting. That so, so remember, there's that front line, right, of all these shields side by side by side. And as those shields were down and they would absorb the arrows or they would deflect the arrows that came... What they actually did was they gave an opportunity for the soldiers behind the front lines to launch a counterattack. Does that make sense? Are you getting this picture in your mind? So you've got the shields in the front line, and then you've got these guys behind who have an opportunity to shoot back because of the shields. So like that, these shields would move inch by inch forward across the battlefield, taking back enemy territory. So this was the Roman shield. And needless to say, you could not win the war without these shields. I mean, you couldn't even lay down this shield for a moment. What would happen? If you put down your shield, the very moment you did that, you became exposed. You were vulnerable. It would only be a matter of moments before you would be struck or worse, you would be killed. You know, as I prepared for this message, um, a memory came to mind, and I hope you don't mind me sharing. My brother planned, um, when I, when I, before I got married, my brother planned a bachelor party. And uh, back then, this was years ago, uh, was it? Yeah, I guess it was, yeah. I'm pretty, um, back then, paintball was the thing to do. I don't know if it still is the thing to do, but back then, paintball was the thing to do. And so, um, if any of you have ever played paintball, uh, you know that uh, you don't soon forget the times you left a shielded area where you're covered and ran across open ground. You don't f soon forget those moments. You know why? Why did we do I think it was capture the flag. I don't know. They had some sort of premise to the game. You had to run across open field. And you don't soon forget those times because it was a matter of moments before you got hit. And it hurt. It stings. I mean, I, mean, it, it, I didn't tell you guys, but it, it bruised for, for days afterwards. But what's my point? My point is you don't last long fighting without a shield. You don't last long. And so Paul tells us in verse 16, in the midst of our spiritual warfare, he says at the beginning of verse 16, in all circumstances, all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith. So faith in God is your shield. I've told, I've told you what a Roman shield looks like, but faith in God is your shield, my brothers and sisters. 
something we should never, ever put down. Hebrews 11, verse 1, if you can, if you can bring it up on the screen, uh, Andy. Thank you. Um, oh, no, sorry. Hebrews 11, verse 1. We'll bring it up for you. This is, if you want a definition for faith, okay, you're saying, what, what, what does Christian faith mean? Here's what it means. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. If you want a definition for faith, this is as good as I can find. This is what faith is, church. Faith is being assured of what you hope for in Jesus Christ. You hope that Christ is who He says He is. He's going to rescue you. You're going to have eternal life with Him. If you are assured of that, that is, that is faith. Faith is being convicted that even though you can't see God with your physical eyes today, you can't see Him, you still believe that He really does exist. And that one day your eyes will see him soon and very soon. That's what faith is. And for those of you who are listening, maybe you don't have faith. Maybe you're like, okay, you're a non-Christian or, or maybe you're agnostic. You don't know what you believe. You're an atheist. You don't believe in God. I want to tell you, even you exercise faith. Do you know that? You may not have Christian faith. But every human exercises faith. I want to give you an example. Last night when you set your alarm on your phone... You had faith that it would work and it would wake you up this morning, right? That there wouldn't be a power outage, that the phone wouldn't die all of a sudden, right? And it would wake you up. You exercised faith on Monday when you hopped into your car and then you drove to work. You had faith that you would arrive safely on time. When you called your boss and you said, I'll be there at 9.02, the GPS says 9.02. You had faith that nothing else would happen on the way. You had faith. Folks here, you had faith when you decided to put all of your weight on these poor chairs. Believing that they would support you. <laughs> right? What's my point? It's not whether or not we have faith. It's not do you have faith or not. It's not if you have faith. It's in what? Or in whom do we have faith? Every human shows faith every day. But for the Christian, we believe that phones and cars and chairs can fail us, that the things of this earth can fail us, but God is the one in whom we can place our faith. He is the one who is worthy of our faith. Take a look at this beautiful proverb, Proverb 30, verse 5, where it says, I love this, it says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield. To those who take refuge in Him, to those who believe in Him, He is a shield. And Christians, have you not tasted this, this and seen it's true? That every word of God proves, it's not that it is true, it proves itself to be true. This is what it means to have faith. It means that you really believe that God created you, that, that, that God created this world, that 2,000 years ago He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth, to live the life that you could never live, the perfect life, and then die for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it means to have faith. To have faith means that you believe that three days later, against all odds and against all what science can tell us, He miraculously rose from the dead. Think about that. If you say you have faith, you're saying this is what you're saying you believe. If you're a Christian today and you have faith, it means you believe God's Holy Spirit is in you. Right now, when you're alone at home at night, when, you're, when you think no one else is there, God's Spirit is still within you. You believe that. That's what faith means. 
And faith means that one day you believe at any moment Jesus can and will return to judge the living and the dead. So this is what faith is. And what Paul says is that if you take up this faith, what I've just talked about, if you believe that in all circumstances, see what happens. Verse 16, he says, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Um, if you look back for a moment, look at your Bibles at verse 11 for a minute. 11. Paul tells us something very, very important about our enemy, the devil, okay? What, what does he tell us about our devil, the devil? He tells us that the devil has what? Schemes. Do you know what a scheme is? A scheme is a systematic plan. It's a large-scale master plan. That's what a scheme is, okay? Sometimes I think we don't understand our enemy very well. Sometimes we think, okay, the devil's out to destroy the church of Christ, and how he's doing it, he's randomly launching these arrows into the air and hoping that they hit someone, right? But that's not the devil. Do not underestimate our enemy. He has a scheme. He's planned. That means these darts that are being thrown are not just being aimlessly, kind of randomly shot out. They are being directed swiftly and aimed at you, dear Christian. He is looking at your position, your coordinates, your weaknesses, and that's where he's, he's throwing those darts. We must never, is, does that not frighten you? The care with which the enemy plans his attack against us. That, that jarred me. You know, in first century warfare, um, the arrows that were used, the arrows, um, were often they were dipped in pitch, okay, at the very tip. And then they would light these arrows on fire, okay? Like, like set, set them ablaze. So that now, remember I told you the shields, the Roman shields were wooden, right? So, so now when they're shooting the arrows, actually, this, this, this arrow is on fire. And so when it makes contact with the shield, what happens? The, the pitch at the end of the arrow splatters, okay? And it starts little fires everywhere. It starts fires on the sol soldier's clothing. It starts fires, of course, on the shield. Shield is made of wood, right? It's the way that the enemy tried to break down that front line. Remember I told you the front line of shields? It's a way of breaking down the defense by setting these shields on fire. And so Paul is telling us that in our spiritual warfare, the enemy is going to shoot fiery darts at you. And what are those darts? They are temptations. That's what the darts are. The darts are seducing temptations to get you and I to sin against God, to be impure, to be selfish, to be proud, to be arrogant, to buy more than we need, to doubt God, to fear man, to get depressed, to be anxious. His darts are temptations to lust, to watch pornography, to be greedy, to be vain, to be overly concerned with your appearance in front of people or your profile on social media, to covet what other people have, or, and this is important, or the temptation to be lazy the temptation to be lazy. And I want to, I want to pause here for a moment because can I ask you, um, how many precious hours, days, and even weeks have you and I wasted with our eyes glued to a screen? Don't answer. Just think about it. 
while the world around us is perishing, that's what we believe, right? And here we are with our eyes glued to the screen, binge-watching Netflix, doing whatever we're doing on, on, on a screen. You know, I was, I was convicted recently. There's a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life, and I'm sure many of you have heard of it or you've read it. Um, and there's this horrific thought that he, that he, that he paints, and I just want to, want to share that with you. I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed, okay? You're at the end of your life. You're drawing near. There's, there's, you can't go back and undo or change what you did. This is it. But while, while you lie there on your deathbed, there, you have this soul-crushing realization that what? I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Can't go back now. It's done. What's done is done. But as you lie there and you replay how you spent your time, how you spent your life, all the times that you wasted, all the times that you put your shield down and you let yourself be led by temptation into sins against God, sins upon sins upon sins, and you're lying and you say, I've wasted it. Church, what temptations are you plagued with today? What temptations, what sins are you falling into again and again and again? Because whatever the sin may be, Paul tells us here what the reason is. Why do we fall into sin? Because we lack faith. I want to do an exercise with you. I want you to take a minute now. Think about the last time you sinned, okay, that you're conscious of. The last time you sinned. Don't share it with anyone, please, okay? Just, just between you and God. Think about the last time you sinned. And I want to break down, break it down and, and tell you what actually had to happen for you to sin. Do you know what had to happen? You had to stop trusting and believing God and His Word, and you had to trust the devil instead. Now, none of us will ever say that, right? No, none of us, when they sin, says, okay, I'm going to trust the devil now. No one says that. But that is what we do. We don't, we doubt God's Word and we trust the false promises of pleasure that the devil gives us. Isn't that how every sin occurs? I mean, from, think about your own life or think about even from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell. When did they fall? When they put their shield of faith down and they doubted what? God's word. They doubted God's word and that's when the serpent sent his dart. And it struck and they disobeyed and led into sin. So here's the, here's the thing about that shield. Paul tells us that if we put up the shield of faith, it will extinguish the flaming arrows. So there's something I didn't tell you about the shield um, earlier. Before battle, the, the Roman army would take those shields. You know what they would do? They would dip the shields in water. They would soak it. Okay? So now it's not firewood anymore. It's basically doused in water, soaked, saturated. So that now, when the enemy shoots those flaming arrows, what happens? Well, just like after a campfire, is Myron here? Myron is our fire guy. I don't know if he's here. Maybe he's watching at home, Myron. Um, <laughs> he always puts out the fire, right? I think he passed a fire safety course or something. Um, but when, 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 when firewood is, is doused with water, what happens? Immediately, the flames are extinguished, and that's what happens. When those arrows make contact with the wet wood, 
the arrow loses its power to destroy. See that? It loses its power to destroy you as the soldier and to destroy your shield. And church, that's what happens when we put up our, our shield of faith. I'm not saying that the arrows won't come. Please don't get me wrong, right? The arrows will still come. Temptations will surely still come at you, right? They're still going to come. But they lose their power to overcome you. They lose their power. Look at this passage in 1 John. Go ahead, uh, Andy. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the, the world. What is it? Our faith. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith. Um, if you want a hymn, I, I love to... Uh, try to tie my messages when I'm studying to, to worship. And there's a beautiful hymn um, that many of you may know. It's, it's, I need thee every hour. You guys know that one? I need thee every hour. You know that one, right? There's a verse in that hymn that says this, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Okay? Stay nearby to me, the, the, the writer is singing. Temptations lose their power. When thou art nigh. When God is near to you by faith, when you draw near to Him, temptations lose their power. They lose their power. So this is the shield of faith, which brings us to the second piece. That's the first piece of armor. And the second piece in verse 17, turn to verse 17 now. And remember, we covered the helmet last week, so. We're focusing at the end here of verse 17. What is the object of our faith now, right? So we talked about faith. Well, what do, what do we specifically believe in? What is the object? And, and, and Paul tells us in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's called the sword of the Spirit, meaning the Word of God has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God is our sword in the battle. If you've been paying close attention... In this series, you will notice that this is the only offensive weapon in the whole armor, right? We've talked about belts and shoes and breastplates, and they're all defensive, right? And here Paul talks about the only offensive weapon. So surely this is of great importance, right? Okay, so the Roman sword, I need to clarify again. I need to picture this for you because we're far from that context, um, it's not the kind of sword you might be imagining in your mind. You know, when I think of a sword, I think of uh, Arthur and the um, chipmunks? No. Arthur and the uh, round table. King Arthur. Does anyone know this? King Arthur and the round table of the knights? Yeah. And you picture this long sword, right? This very long sword that you wield with a wide, wide radius, right? You're kind of wielding it like this. But the term that Paul uses here for sword is not a long sword. It's actually a short dagger. It's a dagger. It's about 6 to 18 inches long. Um, it, was, it was not designed for kind of vague swings like this. It was more of a um, precise. Right? It was for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was precision. Now, why am I, why am I saying that? Some of you might think, okay, the Word of God, I get it. I need to read my Bible more, right? That's what you're going to say, right? You're going to say, read the Bible more, and that's it. No. 
There are many Christians today, so-called Christians, and maybe even some of us here, who use the Bible like it's a long sword. And what I mean by that is their knowledge of the Bible is very vague. It's very generic, right? They know the Sunday school stories. They know, okay, creation, and there was a flood, and there was an Exodus story. Yeah, I remember that. And then Jesus died on Good Friday, right? And then he rose again on Easter Sunday. So that's their knowledge of the Bible. That's it. Beyond that, the details, the specifics, they don't know. And so what happens is when circumstances come into their life, they have to fill in the gaps of what they don't know because they don't know the Bible very well. They fill in the gaps with what they think God would do, right? What they think God would say in this circumstance. They don't know. They they don't know the, the, the word well enough. They use it like it's a long sword and not like a precise dagger. And I want to give you some, some examples of this, okay, in our society. And um, the first is this. The Christian who doesn't know their Bible precisely may think there's nothing wrong with the current um, social justice and anti-racism movement, okay? Racism is a sin, of course. Injustice is, is a sin. It's displeasing to God, of course. But the Christian who knows their Bible with precision will say, yes, those are sins, and we lament those sins. But the current worldview in our society that says your identity is centered on the color of your skin is not at all biblical. It's not. The Bible says we were all made in the image of God. Do you see the difference in how you use the Bible generically and how you use it precisely? There's another example I want to give you. The Christian who doesn't know their word precisely may think there's nothing wrong with canceling people. You've heard of the expression canceling institutions like law enforcement who have done horrific acts in the past or in the present. Right? They may think, well, there's nothing. They've done awful things. We should, can't, we should erase them from history. And I'm not saying what they did is right, but what I am saying, the, the Christian who knows their Bible will say, that's not the gospel. If that's the case, if we should cancel people for their sin, that we are all hypocrites because we are all sinners. We should all be canceled. And the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say, come, O sinner, to be canceled. It says, come, O sinner, to have your sins canceled. By me dying in your place. That's what Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ says. And the Christian who knows their Bible will know that. The Christian who doesn't know their Bible well will say, God is love. God loves you as you are. Why should we deny anyone the right to do what they want with, their, with themselves, with their body? The right to an abortion. The right to um, marry whomever they please. The right to determine their own gender. The right to end suffering early by by, by, by medical assistance in death. What's wrong with that? God loves people. Why would he want them to suffer? But the Christian who knows their Bible well will say, because life is precious in God's sight. Because oh God, he and only he, sovereignly numbers our days. We don't get to play God. The Bible doesn't tell us to play God. God is God. The Bible tells us gender and sexuality are not social constructs. They are ordained by the providence of God. Do you see the difference in how Christians can disagree on these issues and it can all come down to how well do we know the Word of God? 
Sadly, we live in a world where people can no longer respectfully disagree about these things. I'm telling you, even as a, as a new father, thinking about my son, John, you know, going to school in today's climate, I have fears about this. Because if I were to lovingly and plainly share what the Bible says, if I just tell people, this is what God's Word says, what will happen? I may, I may very well get canceled. <laughs> you will get canceled. But this is how the sword of the Spirit pushes back darkness, church. This is how we counter the culture with truth. This is how we advance the kingdom of God against the deception and the lies of our enemy. This is what happens when the word is applied with precision. I want to show you another passage. Paul says um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at this, from verse 4, he says this, for the weapons of our warfare, again, using the military language, right? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, we're not fighting people, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, what are the strongholds? We destroy arguments. We destroy any and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's what we're called to do. That's what the Word of God does in our society. Taking every thought captive to Christ, to obey Christ. So, that's what we do for society, right? With the Word of God advancing, that's one way we fight back. But the other way is in your own life. Okay, I talked about society. I want to talk about your life. Well, how do you use the Word of God in your life, in, in the attacks the enemy has against you? I want to show you that from the life of Jesus. Can you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 4? Okay, you know this story, but, but, but um, I think it's very important that we illustrate this point. Matthew 4 is where um, Jesus is, uh, Matthew tells us about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. You remember this? Three times the devil comes and tempts him to sin. And even though you know this story, I want you to look at your Bible and, and note how many times Jesus uses the Word of God precisely, with precision. Okay? You'll see the expression, it is written. Okay, it is written. Look at this. So picking it up from verse 2. Go ahead. Uh, you got it up there, Andy. Thanks. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to loaves of bread. But, he, but Jesus answers, It is written. There's number one. Okay? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you can see, Jesus knew how to use his word, the word of God, in order to combat the enemy's temptation, right? Now let's look at what happens next. Now it changes. Verse 5, then the devil takes him to a holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, and look what the devil says. What does he say? He says, for it is written. Oh, so what's the devil doing now? Now, he is quoting Scripture back to Jesus. Okay? He's, so, he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Notice what the devil does. We, sometimes we don't realize how cunning the devil can be. 
how he is now taking the scripture that we're supposed to use to fight. He's taking our sword and he's ripping it out of context all so that he can get you to be okay with your sin. Realize that. So that you can justify your sin. Okay? And now I want to bring it home because this, 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 this really convicted me. If you're a Christian, have you ever been in a situation where you're about to do something you know is wrong? Okay? You all have to nod there, right? You've, you've been there at least. Right? We're about to do something we know is wrong. I know this is wrong. I know this is sin. And you're contemplating. You haven't done it yet, but you're about to do it. Okay? And then something comes into your mind, and I'm going to call it the devil, but, and whispers, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that where my sin increases, what happens? God's grace is supposed to increase all the more. Right? Have we not? Have you never done? I've done it. You're about to sin, and this thought comes to you and says, yeah, doesn't it say, yeah, Romans 5, 20 says, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So it's okay. It's okay for you. You had a bad day. It's okay. Go for it. But what is, this, what is the devil doing? He's ripping that verse out of context. And if you don't know your Bible well, you will be convinced. You'll say, yeah, you're right. God does have grace to cover this sin. It's okay. But if you knew your Bible with precision, you would know a few verses later in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul talks about this and he says, are we to continue to sin so that grace can increase? He says what? By no means. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Think about that. Each one of us. If you are in sin right now or if you are or you're justifying your sin by thinking, well, God's grace is sufficient. It's going to cover me. It's okay. I can keep doing this. Do not, do not take the word and use it like this. Remember, it's a dagger. And if you know it with precision, you will know. No, if you have died to sin, how can you keep living in it? How can you do that? You haven't died to sin. Don't fool yourself and think I've died to sin when you keep doing these things. Right? So can you see the difference? Let's go back to Matthew 4. Jesus, Jesus was not fooled by the devil's scheme. In verse 7, he says, Again it is written, again, there's a second time, he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He knew, Jesus knew how to use the Scriptures and handle it well. Verse 8, Again the devil takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And pause there for a second and think about all your friends and co-workers and colleagues and everyone else you know in the world who is not a Christian and tell me this temptation would not be too much for them. Someone is coming and telling you, showing you all the kingdoms of the world, all the glory you could have, all the money, all the possessions, all the uh, indulgences and pleasures you could ever want. If only you will do this one thing, worship me, Satan says. You don't think our friends in the world would be tempted by this? Of course. So what is the difference with the Christian? What is the difference that Christ shows us? Verse 10, he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. There's his third time. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. So you see, church... It's not just about reading the Bible. It's about knowing God's Word. Knowing it. When you know it, when you store it up in your heart like this, when you, when you meditate on it, when you memorize it, 
like Jesus did, it will keep you from sin. It will keep you from sin. So here's my question. Remember, I told you we're in a war, right? So I want you to picture we're all in the trenches side by side. Okay, we're, we're a church. We're a church family. We're together. We're all soldiers. We're in the trenches. We're about to go out. And the enemy is just steps away. Picture that, okay? The enemy is just steps away, and we're sitting, we're in the trenches, and I look over at you, and you look over at me, and one of you says, I don't know how to use my sword. I don't know how to use my sword. And I ask, do you know how to use your sword? No, I don't know. And maybe that's you. Maybe some of us here today, that's how you feel. You feel like, I don't know. I, I could never have done what Jesus did. I, I, I don't know how to use the, use the word of God that way. And that's okay. I want to give you, I can think of at least two reasons why you might feel that way, that you don't know how to use the Bible precisely, okay? Two reasons. The first is this. Maybe you feel it's too hard to understand. Anyone felt like that? I felt like that many times, that the Bible can be too hard to understand sometimes. And to you, if that's you, I want to tell you something. He calls it the sword of the Spirit. If you are a believer, you have God's Holy Spirit in you. And you know what His Spirit does? It's a teacher. He teaches you so that when you, when you read the Bible, pray and ask, Spirit, teach me. And as you read, He will bring it to light. And, and, and you also have brothers and sisters. Look around. In this church family, we can help each other. We can grow together. So that's, that's the first group of people who may not know how to use the Bible like a sword. But the second group, maybe you're not in the first group, but you feel this way instead. You feel, um, and be honest, maybe you feel this sword is too small. Like it's not going to do anything. Have you ever thought that way? Like what is this dusty old book going to do in my life today with my problems, with my situation. It doesn't know me. It doesn't know what I'm going through or my family or my friends or my coworkers. Like, what is this going to do? And so for you, the writer of Hebrews tells us one of the most extraordinary things about the Word of God, um, and we'll bring it up, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. He says, for the Word of God, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces us. It pierces us, right? It divides soul and, and spirit and, and joints and marrow. And look what it does. Don't miss this. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you know what, he, do you know what it's saying? Friends, every time you open the Bible... You are reading the living, active Word of God. Think about that. Don't underestimate what that is. And, and, and when you're reading it, it is discerning your thoughts. It knows your heart, what you're feeling. I had to pause here. The Bible is just not another book that we read and then we, like a textbook, we read it and then we put it back on the shelf. When you read it, it is alive. It is God actually discerning your thoughts, what you're thinking about. It's God discerning what's in your heart and then He speaks. And when He speaks, He pierces. He pierces you with the truth that you need for that moment. For that moment. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize that when you open the Bible to read? 
That it's not just speaking to, to yesterday, it's speaking today. Do you think that if more Christians believed that, they would spend more time reading their Bible? Of course they would. Of course. The writer continues in verse 13, and no creature is hidden from God's sight. Look at this. But all are naked and exposed to him to whom we must give an account. Okay, and this is for those of you who may be unbelievers or you're just checking this out, you're not sure, you're watching online. To my unbelieving friends, this is what God's word does. When it's used like a sword, here's what it does. It exposes every one of us. It exposes us. It exposes your sinfulness before God, to whom we have to give an account. And don't get me wrong, it's not exposing you to shame you. That's not why. It's not exposing you so that you can feel guilty and get depressed or so you can be canceled. That's not what the gospel is. It's exposing your sinfulness so that you know your desperate need for a Savior. And after exposing you, it then tells you who that Savior is. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so as I close, this is the faith, this is the shield of faith, and this is the sword of the Spirit. And if I can just um, address the believers for a moment, um, I want to ask you a question. How ignorant or foolish or perilous or, can I say, downright arrogant would we have to be to dare to walk onto an active war zone with flaming darts falling all around us without a shield or without a sword. You know, church family, I love you so much, but this week I've been so burdened because I know um, how much we as a church have neglected to protect our souls with faith. We have, you have, I have. How we have continued to let our shield of faith down and then we succumb to temptation and then we come and weep and say, oh God, I'm sorry. And then we go back to the same things because we haven't taken out of our shield of faith again. We continue to fall. We continue to get hit by these arrows and wallow in sin. We need to wake up. We need to change. Can I ask you, how much time have you wasted? How much time in your short life, sitting in front of a screen or sitting in the trenches, not even sure how to use your sword, how much time? How many days or weeks or, let's be honest, months has it been since you even read the Bible? Read, not come to church, read the Bible on your own. How, how long has it been? While the enemy is scheming, there we are wasting our days away in front of screens or building our dream lives on this earth, and souls perish. And so I want to beg you, we need to take up the sword. We, each one of we need to take up our sword and fight. This is a losing battle if we all keep our shields and our swords on the ground. We need to take it up. So speak to someone here Let's do this together. As I said, there are many reasons. There are at least two reasons I gave you why you may not be reading your Bible or treating it like it's the sword, the way we should be. But let's not get lost in this season. Worship team, if you can come up, please. Um, let's not get lost. There's trees. There's lights. It's beautiful. I wasn't 
um, judging anyone. We have our tree up. We have the lights up. It's, it's a wonderful season. But let's not get lost in that season, not realizing that, yes, there is still a war raging on. So I want to leave you with a refrain from a famous poem. Um, it's a poem by Charles Studd. And many of you may know this, but it's a refrain from the poem, and I'll, and I'll just read it to you, and then we'll pray and we'll close. So the poem goes like this. The, the refrain goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can I say that again? Only one life will soon be passed. So only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that you have given us the sword. You have given us the shield. Even faith is a gift from you, O God. And you have equipped us with your armor to fight. And you have told us that not to be deceived, not to think that everything is naive, not to be naive or to think everything is benign, but that there really is there really are spiritual forces of evil at work in this world behind all the things that we say. It's not, it's not against other humans that we fight, O oh God, but there are spiritual forces at work. So awaken us, O oh God. Help us to see in our own life how we continue to fall into sin, how we allow the tempter to attack us, and help us to take up the shield of faith. Help us to take up the word of God and to fight the good fight. We need your help, O oh God. We need your strength. So be with us now. And if anyone, O oh God, um, if anyone does not know you or if anyone is now unsure if they even know you because they don't know how to use the word, they don't really have a shield of faith, well, Lord, I pray that they would be convicted as well. Just as the word goes forward and exposes our sinfulness before you to whom we must give an account, I pray that it would bring each and every one of us to conviction so that we can seek you for, for healing, for change. So we love you. Thank you for, for bringing us to the victor's side. Thank you that we have won and that now we have this firm foundation to stand upon, your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name.